All right, well, take and turn with me today in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 15, if you would, please. The Gospel of Luke, we've been doing a series on the parables of Christ. Last week, we were in the Gospel of Matthew. We looked at the pearl of great price. We talked about how that's Jesus. He is that pearl that we should be willing to leave everything behind for. Uh, that pearl that you will give up anything to get. And so we'll continue along today uh, in the Gospel of Luke with the parable of the lost sheep. And that is found in chapter 15 here. Let's go ahead and take a look. Now, as we've said, we don't have the uh, screens today uh, with, with everything being down here. So kind of what I'll do is I'll just kind of lead you through. I put a PowerPoint together, but I'll lead you through the points and then the subpoints. That's the letters. I'll just kind of spell that out as we go along for those of you who are note takers. All right, so our first point, we've got two points today. Our first point, we want to look at the shepherd and his sheep. The shepherd and his sheep. Let's look at Luke 15, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. <clears throat> then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you came looking for us, Lord, and that you found us. Thank you for being the good shepherd, Lord. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. We thank you for who you are. We pray you'll open up your word and speak to us today through the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the shepherd and his sheep. I can see the points up there. If you want to turn around, it's on that screen right there. Our first, okay, really the first thing we need to do is before we look at this parable and kind of break this down, we want to look at the relationship in the ancient world between the shepherd and the sheep. Because that was an interesting dynamic there, and it will help to shed light on this passage right here. So there's a little background work we want to do first before we actually flesh out these verses here in Luke 15. So we want to look at the shepherd and his relationship with the sheep, all right? And here's uh, some things we want to say. First of all, A, the shepherd knew his sheep by name. The shepherd knew his sheep by name. John 10, I'm going to give you cross-references for each one of these. They're all laid out in the Scriptures John 10, verse 3, Jesus said, The watchman opens the gate for him, for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, in ancient Israel, 
a shepherd might leave the care of his sheep overnight uh, to a watchman or an under-shepherd or a hired hand. This is a man he would hire, and that man would sleep with the, the sheep there at the sheep pen, and he would guard them to make sure they were uh, protected and um, no predator got in there or whatnot. So Jesus is referencing that when he says the watchman opens the gate for him. So in the morning, the shepherd would come to get his sheep. And the under-shepherd would open up the gate. And he would go into the sheep pen. And he would begin calling his sheep by name. Now, oftentimes, there would be more than one flock in a sheep pen. So there might be his flock is in there. But there's another shepherd's flock in there as well. All these sheep were together. So the shepherd would go in in the morning, and he would begin calling out for his sheep by name. The shepherd knew all of his sheep. A hundred, by the way, a flock of a hundred was a standard size. If you had a flock of 300, that was considered very large, uh, and some would have smaller flocks. But a flock of a hundred was about average. He knew them all by name. Now, here's the interesting thing between this dynamic between the shepherd and the sheep is it reflects the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's spiritual application for all of this. Here's the application for this particular point right here. And that is the fact that God knows you, Christian, by name. He knows all about you. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're thinking, knows what you're feeling, knows what you're dealing with. In fact, he knew what you would be dealing with before you knew what you'd be dealing with. The good shepherd has it all figured out. And he knows you by name. Why do I say that? Because maybe you're here today and you feel unseen. Maybe you feel unknown. Maybe you even feel unloved. I don't know. But I want you to know you are seen, you are known, and you are loved by the Good Shepherd. He knows you intimately. He knows all about you, and he loves you just the same. Isn't that something? He knows all about me, and yet he loves me just the same. He knows us by name. There was a, there was a relationship that the shepherd had with each of his sheep. I don't know how you would name them, probably uh, certain characteristics, maybe ex external characteristics, or maybe certain things uh, related to their personalities. But he knew them, and he would call them, and he would lead them out. That's A. B, the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. They knew the voice to follow, and they would not follow any other voice. John 10, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So the shepherd knew the sheep by name, and the sheep knew their shepherd based on his voice. And if some thief entered into the sheepfold somehow and began trying to, you know, lead these sheep out, they would, not only would they not follow that individual, they would run away from him. They knew the voice of their shepherd. 
How does that apply to us? Here's how it applies. We need to know the voice of our shepherd. How do you know the voice of your shepherd? This is his voice right here, this book. Genesis through Revelation, this is the voice of the shepherd. I'm telling you, this is the only book you can trust fully, 100%. This book right here. It has been divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and there is no error in it. It is trustworthy cover to cover. This is the voice of the Good Shepherd. So if you want to know the voice of the Good Shepherd, you must be in this book. You must know this book. You must read this book. You must listen to this book. You must listen to good teaching from this book. You must absorb yourself in this book. Read the book, and when you're done reading the book, read the book some more. That is the voice of the, the good shepherd. And the problem we're having in the American church today is we got people being led astray by all kinds of other voices because they aren't in the book. And they don't know the voice of the good shepherd. And so when other voices and other thieves come along, they're led astray because they never took the time to really understand and discern the voice of the good shepherd. Listen, if you don't want to be led astray, you must be in this book and you must know his voice. So you can discern between the shepherd's voice and the voice of another. You follow what I'm saying? The book, that's the voice of the shepherd. So they knew his voice, and they would only follow that particular shepherd. That's B. C, the shepherd did not drive the sheep from the side or from behind. The shepherd led the sheep from in front. This is important. Now listen again to John 10, verse 4. Jesus said, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. So he goes into the sheepfold. He calls them by name. They discern the voice because they have, they've trained themselves to hear the voice of their shepherd. And so they, they follow him out and he leads them out. So he's not driving the flock from the side. He's not driving the flock from behind. He is going in front of the flock, leading them. There are some shepherds, particularly in the West, that will drive the flock from the side or from behind. But the biblical, in the biblical world, the shepherd would lead the flock. Why is that important? Because that is the model of biblical leadership. You cannot lead from the sidelines. You cannot lead from behind. If you are going to be a good leader of any kind, you must lead in front. You must lead by example. You set the course and others follow you. Your eyes are on Jesus, right? You're following Jesus, and as you're following him, others are following you. But it is always done through example. By leading the way, by showing the way, not by telling people the way, but by showing them and bringing them with you. So this has application for us as parents, and this has application for us as fathers. When you teach your kids, when you train your kids in the ways of the Lord, it can't be from the sidelines, men. Here's what you're supposed to do while you're sitting over there on the side. That's not how it's done. Here's what you do while you're sitting at home. If you're going to lead your kids to know God and serve God and love God, you must, you must lead from in front. You must lead by your example. 
you must show them the way to go. If you want them to be strong in the Word of God, then you need to be strong in the Word of God. You need to read the Word of God. If you want them to have a heart for the lost, then you need to show them what that looks like, sharing your faith with the lost. If you want them to serve the Lord, then they need to watch you as you set that example. So the model for biblical leadership is always leading, like the shepherd would lead the flock from in front by example. You're right there in the trenches with them. So the shepherd would bring, go in the morning, he would get his flock, and he would lead his flock out. D, the shepherd led his sheep out to graze. All right, that's why he's going to get them. He's bringing them out to graze. David said in Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So the Lord comes and he does these things for us that the shepherd would do for the sheep. So he leads them out so that they can eat the grass, right? They could get, they could get fed. And then he leads them down to the still waters. Isn't that a peaceful uh, imagery there that, that David uh, writes for us? He's leading them not, be, not beside rushing waters or dangerous waters. He's leading them to the still waters. And so the shepherd, he leads them out to graze to get the food and to get the water that they need. He is caring for their needs. Listen, God is able to care for your needs. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wonder how are the finances going to work out. Listen, just trust God with it and he'll work it out for you. There's a reason his name is Jehovah Jireh. You know what that means? The Lord will provide, Genesis 22. Why do you think he's called the Lord will provide? Because he's going to provide for you. He provides for his sheep. He provides for his people. He will give you what you need. Don't worry about it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He will provide your needs. Notice I didn't say he'll provide all of your wants. You may have lots of wants. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your needs. They will be provided. You don't have to worry. In fact, you shouldn't worry. You should trust God that he is going to provide. The shepherd would lead the sheep out to graze. And then what, what else do we want to say about this relationship? Well, E, the shepherd would not abandon his sheep. He wasn't going to leave them out there as they're drinking water out in the field. He's not going to leave them. David said in Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? For thou art with me. Listen, are you fearing evil today? Are there things that are making you anxious and, and, and bent out of shape? You really don't have anything to worry about because the shepherd is with you. He is not going to abandon you. He did not abandon David. Was David facing some uh, dangerous times in his life? He was. Saul wanted to kill him for a number of years. The king of Israel, he was chasing him and hounding him and persecuting him. Yet even in the midst of all that, David said, I will fear no evil for you are with me, Lord. I love, how, I, I love what he doesn't say. I will fear no evil because I can do it. I, I will fear no evil, you know, because I'm, I'm very confident in myself. He's not saying any of that kind of, you know, self-help kind of stuff. I will fear no evil for you 
are with me. That's what we need to get our minds wrapped around, that whatever God calls us to, God is going to be with us in that. And if you're in a valley, if the shadows are all around you right now in some area of your life, I want you to know that the shepherd is with you. The shepherd does not abandon the sheep, no matter what you're going through. Whatever it is, it does not matter. You do not have to be afraid because the shepherd is with you and he will lead you through that valley. Valleys are temporary, right? We face valleys and we think, I'm never going to get out of this place. And what does God do? He leads you through the valley, right? Notice, notice that's what David is saying there. Though I walk through the valley. He's not staying there. God's leading me through. And sometimes we need to walk through the valleys to get to, to, get to those still waters, to get to those places of blessing. We need to go through some of these valleys sometimes. But the shepherd would not abandon his sheep. What else can we say about the shepherd? F, the shepherd was the protector and the corrector of the sheep. The protector and the corrector. Listen to what else David said in Psalm 23, verse 4. He said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the shepherd would carry two different things. He would carry a rod. And first of all, the purpose of carrying that rod was basically to beat off any wild animal that tried to get to the flock. And it was a dangerous place, ancient Israel. It was a dangerous place to be a shepherd. There were all kinds of predators out there. There were bears. There were lions. There were um, wolves. There were hyenas. There were jackals. There were thieves. There were all kinds of individuals that would try to get to that flock. And so the shepherd had to be ready to use his rod and to smash any animal that came near the flock. David did this. David killed what? A lion and a bear when they tried to attack his flock. Any good shepherd would defend his flock. And so the application here, first of all, is that God's our protector. Some of you don't realize that yet. You still think you're your own protector, and that's why you think, i got to say this, and i got to do this, and i got to get back at that person. i got to settle this score over here. Listen, you don't have to do any of that. All you need to do is trust God. That's all you need to do. You turn it over to him. You forgive whoever has hurt you, and you go on with your life. You travel nice and light through life. You don't hold bitterness or anger toward anyone. You turn it over to God. He's, he's your protector. It doesn't say David was carrying the rod. The shepherd was carrying the rod. You don't have to, you don't have to try to settle any accounts. In fact, when we try to do that, we just make a mess of things. Let God settle the accounts. If he needs to, to deal with someone, he'll do it. Turn it over to him and let God be your protector. Stop trying to do it yourself. So the shepherd was the protector, but he was also the corrector, right? So he had that rod, but then he also had the, the, the crook, right? The, the shepherd's staff. And he would, it, it, you know, if a sheep is going astray, he'd throw that crook around it and pull it back in. Now that probably wasn't too pleasant for the sheep, getting wrangled back in there. But it was necessary, and it's necessary for us, right? Yes, it is. We go astray sometimes, don't we, in our walk with the Lord, in our lives. We get a little off track. What does the shepherd do? He reels us back in. 
He uses the shepherd's staff to pull us back in. Is it fun? No, it's not fun. The discipline of the Lord is not fun. But he disciplines those he loves. Read Hebrews chapter 12. That's what it's all about. He disciplines those he loves. That means he corrects them. He brings them back in. When they go astray, the Lord applies his divine shepherd's crook and brings us back to where we need to be. That should provide comfort, though, right? Because we do get astray, but we know that our our loving, good shepherd will bring us back to where we need to be. So the shepherd was the protector, and he was also the corrector of the sheep. And then I would say, gee, that a good shepherd would risk his life for the sheep. I've already kind of said that. But here's what Jesus said in John 10, verses 11 and 12. I am the good shepherd. One of the seven I am statements in the book of John. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep. And runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Who is that wolf there, do you think? That's the devil, isn't it? He attacks the flock. And who is Jesus referring to? Who do you think those hired hands are that he's talking about? That's the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders at the time of Christ. They didn't really care about God's flock because In their greatest time of need, they would abandon the flock. But the good shepherd lays his life down. The hired hand, listen, these aren't his sheep, right? So when he sees a wolf coming, what does he do? He hightails it out of there. I'm not risking my life, you know, over these sheep. They're not my sheep. The good shepherd, though, those belong to him. Have you noticed this dynamic, by the way? You know, when you... When you go into a store that has someone's name on it, don't you get good service? There used to be this, um, this hardware store in Schenectady, in New York, where we lived, and it had the guy's name on the front, Marty's. And every time I walked into that hardware, so it was a little hardware, local place, you know, I'd go in there, and they would, they'd be on me like bees on honey, right? I mean, I could not get past that front counter, and they would say, what do you need? What are you looking for today? They take me right over there, you know, show me exactly what I needed, explain it to me, you know, here's how to use it and whatever. Why is that? Because the guy's name was on the front. Now you go into some stores, we won't, we won't mention any names, but you go into some stores, you're wandering around looking for someone to help you, right? You got to press a button for somebody to come help you. Nobody cares that you're there because their name isn't on it. When someone's name is on it, they care more. The shepherd cared because this was his flock and his name was on them and he knew them by name the hired hand just works there so when he sees the wolf coming he's out of there why aren't you glad that jesus is the good shepherd that jesus laid his life down for us he died that we might have eternal life he lived a sinless life to pay the penalty for those that lived sinful lives He died, he was buried, he rose again, he's alive. The good shepherd is seated on the throne of heaven. Aren't you glad for that? He is the good shepherd. Then I would also say H. This is the final sub-point here in this section. That a vigilant shepherd would become the door to the sheepfold. He would become the door. 
Here's another one of the I am statements. Jesus said, also in John 10, John 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out, <clears throat> excuse me, and find pasture. Now, I had this picture I was going to pull up for you, but I, I can't do that today. But basically, it was, the, it was a picture of an ancient sheepfold, and, and what they would do, it was very simple. Uh, they, would, um, they would just pile, you know, they'd make a stone wall, pile stone on one another. You know, they'd get these big stones and pile them up, build a wall. And it was sort of a rectangular shape, and that was the sheep pen. You know, they would lead the sheep in there, and there would be only one door into that sheep pen. Sometimes there would be a gate. Sometimes there would be no gate. It would just be open. If that shepherd was guarding his flock by night, what he would do is he would lead them into the sheepfold, and then let's say there's no gate on that sheepfold, he would lie down in the doorway and sleep there for the night. He would become the door. He would become the only way in. And obviously, you know, he's doing that to prevent the sheep from coming out of the sheepfold, but he's also doing that uh, to prevent any predators from coming in, right, from entering into the, to, to get the sheep. He became the door. And that's what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. He's the only way into the sheepfold. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. He's the only way into the church. The only way into the body of Christ is through the door. And there's not many doors. There's just one door. How many doors were there on the ark? There was one door. There was one way in. There were no other ways in. Likewise, there's only one way to eternal life, and that is through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. There's no other way in. We don't make up our own doors. We don't make up our own ways in. We come to God on God's terms, not our own. And God's terms are very clear. You come through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him. There's only one door, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you don't know Him today as the door, as the only way, I would beg of you to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put your trust in Him, that you need Him desperately. So we see, number one, we see this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. And then number two, we see the shepherd sought the lost sheep. So the shepherd and his sheep is number one. Number two, the shepherd sought the lost sheep. Look one more time now at verses one and two in Luke chapter 15 here. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the scribes, they muttered. And these guys loved to mutter, didn't they? I'm not even sure what muttering is, but they did a lot of muttering. They're muttering over here, muttering over there, just muttering all over the place. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, my goodness, what a terrible thing to welcome sinners. Aren't you glad he welcomes sinners? Because that applies to you, no offense. Me too. It applies to all of us. But notice those two groups that are in view once again. So many of the parables are spoken to these two groups and have to do with these two groups. Group number one, the tax collectors and the sinners. All right? Uh, nobody, well, the religious leaders, they didn't like this group. They didn't like the sinners. Uh, they thought they were better than them. They looked down on them. And they didn't like the tax, actually nobody liked the tax collectors. 
And it was because they collected taxes, yes, which nobody likes, but worse, worse than that is they would collect the taxes and give them to Rome. That's what, really why they hated them. They take their money and give it to that, that nation that was occupying their nation. That's why they really despise them. So tax collectors and sinners on this side. Then on this side, we got the Pharisees, we got the Sadducees, we got the teachers of the law, the scribes. So many of the parables are spoken to these two groups, the religious crowd and the tax collectors and the sinners. This is the same thing here. This parable is spoken to these two groups. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So he has lost one of his sheep. Now, how, do, how does he know that? Very simply, they would count their sheep. Usually, they would count the sheep at night as the sheep were filing into the sheep pen. And they would take that rod and they'd tap it down. One, two, three. They'd count them one by one as they filed into the sheep pen. Sometimes, however, they would count the sheep out in the open field during the daytime as they're grazing. That's the case right here in Luke 15. He is counting his sheep and he gets to 99 and he stops. One is gone. That was not what he wanted. That was not a good thing at all. So what does he do? He leaves the 99, not just abandons them so they're wandering around aimlessly. He leaves them in the care of an under-shepherd, a hired hand. He leaves them in the care of another, and he goes searching for that one lost sheep. He goes looking for him, and doesn't that make sense that he would do that? He does that for two different reasons. He does that, number one, because he has a financial incentive to do that. This is how he earns his living. These sheep are important to him, and it was all about sheep shearing season. Right? He would care for them, and then during that time of the year, they would, they would cut the sheep, and they would ha they'd have all that wool, and they would sell the wool. And that's how he earned his living. So he has a financial incentive to go find this sheep that is lost, but he also has a relational incentive. He knows that sheep. He knows that sheep by name. He knew exactly which sheep wasn't there. And he went looking for that sheep. Now, in this parable, who do you think the shepherd represents? This is an easy one. This is Jesus. There you go. The lost sheep represents sinners before they knew Jesus. We are the lost sheep, by the way. Hopefully this isn't a newsflash to you. And the 99 sheep represent whom? The Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. And I want you to notice who goes looking for who. Does the sheep go looking for the, uh, the, uh, the, the shepherd? The shepherd goes looking for the sheep, right? The, the, the sheep is totally clueless. He's wandering around. He's frustrated. He doesn't know where he is. He has no ability to find the shepherd by himself. The shepherd goes looking for the sheep. Listen, when you got saved, I want you to know it's because Jesus came looking for you. You didn't go looking for him. I know we say, I found God. I don't have any problem with people saying, I found God. But if we're 
totally accurate, biblically speaking. We did not find God. God found us. And that's exactly what happened in my life. That's my testimony. Not, not me searching for him, him searching for me. Because I woke up one day at the age of 21. I was telling this to someone the other day. And, you know, it was just there. That desire to want to know God was just there one day. And I just needed to know what the Bible had to say. And I just needed to know who Jesus was. And I found out a little while later that the reason for that was because my grandparents prayed every single day for me. I knew they were godly people. I didn't know, though, that they prayed every day for all of their grandkids. That's a challenge, by the way, to you grandparents. You know how important your prayers are for your grandkids? Grandparents, you better be praying for your grandkids. Because the reason I know the Lord today is he responded to their faithfulness in prayer. Even after they were in heaven. They were both with the Lord. And God reached down and found me. Even after you leave, even after you're in glory, he doesn't forget your prayers. He might answer some of your prayers after you're with Jesus and you've been with Jesus for years. He does not forget but that was my experience. I, I can fully attest that this is what happened in my life, that the good shepherd came looking for me. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not saying we don't have a choice or, or there's, there's no choice. You know, I don't want you to get all nervous here. Obviously, we do have a choice. We do have a responsibility to choose Jesus. We talk about that every Sunday. I'm just saying that the initiative came not from you. The initiative came from the good shepherd who came looking for you. You were wandering in your sin. You had no clue what was going on. You had no clue what the truth was. You had no clue where you were, and Jesus came searching for you. He drew you by the Holy Spirit. He spoke through somebody to you. He spoke through the Word of God to you. He was drawing you. He was wooing you, we say sometimes. He was, he was bringing you unto himself. You were trying to get away, maybe even at times. You were kicking against him a little bit, and he kept pulling you in. He kept searching for you, and he found you. And finally, you said, all right, you know what, Lord? I've been doing it my way all these years. Time to do it your way. Thank you for finding me. It is the good shepherd who comes looking for his people, just like that shepherd would go looking for his sheep. And what does he do when he, when he finds that sheep? Verse 5, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, why does he put it on his shoulders? Well, Jeremias helps explain that. When a sheep has strayed from the flock and roamed about, it usually lies down dejectedly and cannot be brought to stand up or run. So there's nothing for the shepherd to do but to carry it. And over long distances, this can only be done by putting it on his shoulders you're going a long way you can't carry the thing like this all you can do is put that thing on your shoulders and walk slowly all the way where all the way back home that sheep gets so frustrated he just lies down and he, he doesn't he doesn't want to talk to anybody he's dejected he's been out of shape was that wasn't that some, some of us before we knew jesus we were totally helpless to save ourselves weren't we that was all of us and he found us and what does he do he put us on his shoulders, so to speak. And he did what? He led us all the way back home. We were wandering. He found us, and he led us 
back to where we needed to be. And then notice what he does in verse 6. He calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The day you trusted in Jesus, I want you to know there was rejoicing in heaven. And you know who was leading that rejoicing? The Lord. The Lord himself led that rejoicing. Whenever a sinner repents and finds Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in heaven. They were rejoicing when you got saved that day. And there's more joy over that than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, who are those individuals? Those are the Pharisees, right? They're the 99 sheep that don't need to repent. Oh, but they actually do need to repent, don't they? What does he mean when he says they don't need to repent? He's, what he means is in their minds they don't need to repent because they're self-righteous. They are the 99 who don't need to repent because they, they figure they're already right with God. That, that's why they thought they were better than the sinners and the tax collectors. We're better than them. We don't need to repent. Those people are terrible. We look down on We despise those people. We don't need to repent. We're right with God. There's no rejoicing over those people in heaven. But there is rejoicing over the sinner who repents and turns to Jesus. So as we begin winding down here today, I want to ask you a couple things here. First of all, what are you doing to find lost sheep? You know God wants to use you to find lost sheep? He can find them. He doesn't need our help. I'm not saying that. But he wants to use us as a part of what he's doing. He wants to use you to help lead somebody to him. He wants to use you to pray for that family member. He wants to use you to share the truth with that neighbor. He wants to use you to invite that coworker to church. He wants to use you as a part of the process of finding lost sheep. So what are you doing to be a part of that process? I'm not saying you have to do it the same way other people do it. You're going to do it in a way that's unique to you. You're going to do it in a way uh, that fits with your gifts and, and the way God has wired you. But you should be doing it somehow, amen? What are you doing to be a part of helping lost sheep find their way back? my first question. And then my second question is, if you are that lost sheep, have you considered the need that you have for the good shepherd in your life? That you need to come to him. That he is searching for you. And he is waiting on you to turn to him. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Let's go to him as we close. Let's go to the good shepherd. The word of prayer. And if you're here or you're listening and you know you are that lost sheep, let me ask you, what's it going to take for you to turn to the good shepherd? You've got to lay it all down. You've got to let the Lord be on the throne of your life. You've got to stop putting yourself on the throne and let God be on the throne. Listen, until you turn to him, you're going to keep wandering. You're going to be lost. Good shepherd wants to bring you home. Will you put your faith in him today? Jesus, my prayer is for any that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with the shepherd, 
that they would turn to you today. They would ask Jesus to come in. They would call on that name for forgiveness. We have a wonderful promise, Lord, that when we confess our unrighteousness, you will forgive us. I pray for that lost sheep today. Lord, that you bring them into the fold. For the believer here today, be encouraged, be comforted. You've got a good shepherd that loves you. He's leading. He is guiding. Follow him. Don't go your own way. Follow the good shepherd. And listen, if you're in a valley today, be, be encouraged by what David wrote in Psalm 23. The shepherd's in that valley with you. You will get through it. Just keep trusting him and following his lead. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for the good shepherd that laid his life down for the sheep. We praise you. We magnify you and you alone today. May you get the glory. May you get the honor. And may you get the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to come down now, if you need prayer, if the Lord's spoken your heart, let's do as the Lord leads.